This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, John. It is a pleasure to have you on, man. We're already having fun if people can't tell. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing today? Really good. I had a nice long walk. It's been uh, monsoon time in the desert, so it was like 77 degrees this morning, and um, I just ran into uh, one bobcat and uh, a Rhodesian Ridgeback who was off leash, and he scared me more than the bobcat. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Okay. That's not your average walk in the park today. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but it gets the adrenaline going. Yeah, man. No, I know what you mean. I, I was once out jogging and ran into some coyotes out when I lived closer to the mountains in the LA area. And I'd say I'd never want to go through that again, uh, just because there was a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> I must have walked in the wrong part of town there. Uh, yeah. They don't take too kindly to my kind around these parts. <laughs> yeah. uh, but with that said, man, uh, one, of, one of the things I always like to kick the conversations off with is uh, do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs? Indeed, I do. Um, every one of them. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. Actually, my dad was a butcher in South Buffalo. He fed the steelworkers. And uh, that was during uh, the war and, and the recession. He used to say that hamburger was a quarter of a pound, but nobody had a quarter. <laughs> so, yeah. And then uh, both my brothers and my two sisters were both entrepreneurial. So, yeah. Dinner conversation was all about, you know, what'd you sell today? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's not often we get a chance to hear from someone who comes from like straight up, just business was part of the core. And, and uh, what that does for uh, your development as an individual, was it just a given, given that that's how you were growing up, that that's what you were going to be doing? Pretty much. I mean, uh, we only had one member of our family attend college. It was like, go get a job, work for a living, um, figure out from there what you want to do. Um, I went into the Air Force Reserve during Vietnam to make sure I wasn't a grunt getting killed over there and got lucky and got in. And um, then when I got out, um, I, I was in the, my family uh, migrated into the magazine subscription sales business. So I started knocking on doors when I was 11, you know, at uh, Christmas time, Easter time, summertime, I was on a crew going door to door. There was a crew manager. We traveled all over the Midwest and that was a, you know, that was an experience in and of itself. You learn a lot about people knocking on doors. And um, then the phone room came along and I moved into a phone room as a sales rep and then ultimately as a, as a uh, phone room supervisor. And then um, started my own business and, um, you know, 21 at, at age 21, I had my own franchise magazine subscription sales franchise with a company called McLean Hunter. Okay. This is important. Uh, I don't think enough people can appreciate, especially in today's age, just like what magazines meant back then, 
you, right. you know, this is something I don't get a chance to talk about a lot, right? Uh, uh, Jason himself has has a magazine he's launched, but I, I want to dive into this because there's a reason you went into that more than just because it was around. What did magazines mean at that time? Well, it was the cheapest form of entertainment for most people back then. And, um, you know, it, it started to morph quite a bit when Look and Life went out of business. Um, that happened just as I got out of the service. And um, as a result, I, ended, I had to go find someplace else to work. And that was McLean Hunter, which is a Canadian publisher. And um, then specialization happened. I mean, if you look at the newsstand today, granular levels of niche magazines, right? Um, down to, you know, you name it. Uh, so that changed the business as well. You know, for me, uh, it's all I knew how to do. And so I needed to make a living and pay my rent and my my car bill and my, you know, eat and all that kind of stuff. But I was, you know, 21, living in Toronto. I had a penthouse apartment, a yellow sports car, a girlfriend. Everything was great. You know? But then I went to a cocktail party and I met this recruiter and she said, you ought to go to work for Xerox. And I said, no way. I don't, I don't want to sell copiers. And she said, no, no, this is the publishing group. They sell sales training. I said, oh, I'll go on the interview. So she said, well, what university did you go to? I said, I never went to university. She said, oh, they only hire MBAs. I said, well, see if you can get me the interview. I'll get the job. So the rest is history. <laughs> oh, wow, man. Yeah, well, there's a confidence there that most people don't have. Most people would have stopped. Oh, well, I never went to college, and that's that. Um, so it's really interesting to to see that perspective of how for you it was a given, like, look, I I I imagine that's what people want, but just get me in the room. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Already that sales. If they <laughs> if they could if they couldn't see that as you were saying that, then they have no understanding of what sales means, which is look, I, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of what people need so I can find out whether or not it's something I can deliver on, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, before we go any further, I want to check in with Jason. I'm sure he's got some things to say about this. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at really successful entrepreneurs, they were steeped and rooted in sales, right? Usually always the really, really successful. That doesn't mean to be successfully be a salesperson, but, but you look at a lot of really, really successful people they were rooted in sales. It just reminds me of Reggie when we had Reggie on here. Um, he's a uh, prior NFL all-star and left the NFL and wanted to learn how to sell because he was starting a new company. And he literally went door to door selling makeup. Now imagine a six foot six monster, right? <laughs> Would you like to buy some hand cream? <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, imagine that, but he took that challenge and did that for two years because he wanted to learn how to sell and he yeah. was their top sales guy. So it's, it's really interesting how sales always parallels with uh, the entrepreneurial experience, just like sports or, uh, music or any of those things it's like there's this hidden switch inside of a lot of people's brains that you get the bug right and it and and from there you know the sky's the limit the next step is the hard part <laughs> which, which is <laughs> actually doing it oh yeah yeah right yeah actually actually running a business and all that stuff but 
Yeah. I won't, I won't go down that diatribe right now. <laughs> I mean, if you live in the U S and you don't have your own business, you're out of your mind. <laughs> let's put that on a plaque right there no kidding i mean it's all set up for that i mean it's how it works so i i, I love this that you're going into that because uh it's not even something i was about to ask you about but since you mentioned it is true that anywhere you look you'll see a majority of people online uh hankering for representatives to give them what they need. And then you step into the business community and everyone there is talking about how they're about to go give people what they need and serve service them as leaders, right? Like going out and then doing the paperwork necessary to, to get thrown into the system that has been set up for that entrepreneurial bent to things. And I just don't understand how people miss that. I don't know where in education that happened. I know it's not for everybody, but you also don't have to be the CEO of a company. You can partner in some capacity that lends itself to your strengths and still be in business. And yet somewhere along the way, this was missed. So what you said, it's so valuable, especially given that you're someone who grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So yeah, it's like, it's set up to win that way if you do it right. But for some reason, people miss that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would hitchhike on the word you mentioned, having a partner. In all of my businesses, I've had a partner or partners. And that's been invaluable because everyone has their own list of strengths and areas that they need to shore up. And if you can you know, match that together, I mean, it's just like your marriage. You know, you, you, you find somebody who backs you up and has your back and, and compliments what you can't do. And... Um, you know, my my uh, company, Advantage Performance Group, which I founded in 1990 with a partner. I mean, by the time we had that thing ramped up uh, and sold it in 2006, we were in a position where we could get e- e- each other a six-month sabbatical and say, hey, you go off and, you know, recharge your batteries. When you come back, I'll go off and recharge my batteries. And that's invaluable because, you know, I think burnout for startup and, and getting it, you know, beyond... Like we used to say, we got to get this thing to the point where somebody'd have to try to put us out of business. <laughs> then we were new, and we we knew we were in a position where we could do some of that stuff. But um, no, I think partners are key. I've got a partner in my current business who compliments me tremendously. He's much younger than I am. Um, ton of energy, knows how to sell, knows his way around a spreadsheet, that kind of stuff. And you know, and now everyone shares the same values. That's so key. I mean, every organization I've ever founded. We had core values, and uh, that 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 displaces a lot of policy procedure when you have core values that that are shared by everybody. Man, that's big. That's big. And, and so, but before we keep going further, I want to dive back into the narrative here. So you step into Xerox, right? Uh, you crush it there, uh, as we can clearly see because you're here today. Uh, what ended up being the main thing that pulled you from what was happening at Xerox back into like full blown entrepreneurship? Well, I, I, um, Xerox learning systems was acquired by times mirror and the culture changed. And, um, I had been being courted by two entrepreneurs in California that owned a small bank consulting firm. We were the same age. We had young kids. Um, they, um, finally convinced me to leave and come to San Francisco, which, Coming from Connecticut to San Francisco was a dream. Uh, 
So that was a five-year stint. I vested in the stock equity that I had, and I used that to start my own business. And that was called Advantage Performance Group. It's still in business today. It was bought by a company called BTS out of Stockholm in 2006. There was a, a one-year earnout, and um, it's still alive and and uh, you know doing very well today, which makes me feel very good because I, I wouldn't have wanted to sell something somebody that was a pig in the poke. But uh, great people, great uh, products, great clients. Oh man. And now you're doing sales and marketing support? Well, so so long story short, um, I I uh, was 56 when I sold the business, too young to retire. Um, I started a, a not-for-profit for teenage kids to help them build personal life plans and um, use my training expertise and my, my newfound uh, wallet uh, to underwrite that. And um, <clears throat> it's called the Life Plan Institute. Our vision at the time was to train 10 million kids to have personal life plans. And uh, it was nine modules. And they walked away from the, the session with a written personal life plan of who they wanted to be, how they wanted to get there, the whole thing, the nine yards. Um, then I got a little bored with not-for-profit. Um, and I started a sales assessment business that's still online. It's called Sales Genomics. Uh, if someone's hiring salespeople, we have an assessment tool that helps them make a decision between hunter and farmer. Um, and then I got bored with that. And I was up in Vancouver in the summer with my wife. And I said, you know, I'm going to write a book. And she said, oh, sure, go ahead. You know, so it was a bucket <laughs> list thing. And I wrote the book. Uh, it's called Level 5 Selling. And uh, phone rang, emails lit up. People called and said, love this book. How can I get my sales force to sell like that? And um, that's that's where I am today. That was June of 2016. I had no vision of being back in business again. I'm 71. I'm like, <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. And 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 now I've got 25 sales reps and a CEO and a whole virtual organization and I wrote four books. This is the most recent one. This is level yeah. communication skills. And um, we got great clients and great people and I'm a happy guy. <laughs> I would have I, never thought you were 71. I, I was just going to oh, say, man, oh, I hope I am as energetic and yeah. enthused as you. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm 33 for, for reference, right? So like that gives me a lot to look forward to, man. Seriously. <laughs> well, you're the same age as my son who lives in Portland. So there you go. You could be my son, right? <laughs> hey, hey, man, I am. I am benefiting from your experience as we speak. Oh, and, nice. uh, and, and, uh, Sales is the lifeblood of all businesses, as everybody who's in business knows. And what you're doing, helping people uh, with exactly that is key. I mean, again, I don't have to point that far back in the conversation to point out just how natural this was to you when someone presented you with an opportunity where most would have said, okay, because uh, school is required. And you said, no, get me in the room. Right. That the, just that fundamental. And I, I saw that from the minute that happened in the conversation to where you are now, what you're doing. It just makes sense to me. Obviously, hindsight is 2020 and um, the benefit of being an outsider. But uh, it, it's pretty clear to me why that would work out the way it did. And then it turns out you've got a flair for writing. Nobody gets to the fourth book without having actually enjoyed the experience. Believe me. <laughs> um, well, Jason can probably attest to that, too. As well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned the art of being interviewed, though, not actually writing it. So, <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay, 
which is interesting because I've always been on the other side for most people um, when, when I would work with them, I would actually do a lot of interviews, get to know what's going on and then pass it on to somebody else uh, to, to turn. So it's really interesting how many different ways there are to write books. And most people think they have to sit there and just type all the time, but that's not the case. Uh, uh, if you enjoy it, it's probably one of the best ways to do it because you can control a lot more of the process, but either way, if you've got something to share, you should. And I'm glad that you did, that you wrote those books. Uh, I hope you don't mind what, oh, because this show is supported by the actual business community. Like we actually have business owners and entrepreneurs, much, no, much like yourself, unlike yourself at all, uh, who do support this show. This episode in particular was made possible by someone. I'd love to give them a shout out if that's all right with you. Uh, and, and that is, uh, pro shark, uh, when it, when it comes to business, as everyone knows, growth is never truly over as long as you're still in the game. And so whether you're just starting out to look for what tech you should be using, or you're already established and you're looking to scale up, everyone knows you're going to need like the right tools, the right partners, as we even talked about in this conversation. So people can save themselves a lot of time, money, and headaches by just getting in touch with ProShark, which is essentially a turnkey digital solution that covers digital marketing, like ads, emails, even social to full stack development that covers like apps, websites, even e-commerce. They're even fully equipped to help you with what matters most right now, which is cybersecurity. So mm. they're the kind of company that can grow with people and continue to deliver value as the organization evolves. So the next time you're thinking about what next step to take and you're wondering what your tech stack should look like, just reach out to ProShark. You can go to ProShark.com and tell them the war room sent you. Uh, now, with that said, man, uh, I want to get back to level five selling because I've read a few sales books and I always walk away like, man, all right, I'm ready to go sell. And then uh, it wasn't until I did enough calls myself that I realized scripts are not the answer to selling. But I want to know your opinion on that. <laughs> well, of course, in the in the magazine subscription business, we use scripts. And, um, you know, if somebody wasn't producing, the, the, the number one coaching advice you gave was follow the script. As soon as they get off the script, their sales went down. But um, today, I don't know that that's so much the case. Um, uh, you know, sales to me, I, I mean, I've sold, literally sold or overseen the sale of probably $400 million worth of sales training. Oh, So um, that's a big number, I know, but I worked for Xerox, so we had a big numbers. And as I said, oversaw the sale. But um, I actually, we're sort of, at level five, we're sort of the anti-sales training event company. Because when those people called and said, you know, I want to get my company to sell like this, my first first thought was, well, I'll build a sales training program. I don't want to do that. Sold plenty of them. And about 24 hours later, I said, don't do that. And, and the reason I said, don't do that is because in many respects, as a salesperson of sales training events for years, I felt like a doctor who never cured anybody. Because if you think about it, a two-day training event 30 days later, almost everything's forgotten. You know, they call it the Ebbinghaus forgotten, you know, forgetting curve. And so I reached out to people and said, why are you not satisfied with the results you're getting from sales training? They said, well, um, we, we don't have any follow-up. We don't have any reinforcement. There's been no coaching. So there's this thing we call the sales training parade. 
And companies have a tendency to say, well, this year I'll buy PSS and the next year I'm going to buy Spin and then I'm going to buy Challenger and then I'm going to buy, and then I'm going to buy Joe's Training Hut. And, and it goes on and on. And it's a Tower of Babel, but there's no follow-up, no reinforcement, no coaching. So I built a coaching system instead of a training program. So I we believe that the frontline sales leader in any sales organization is the linchpin to executing your sales strategy. And if you can help those people become masterful coaches, everything else falls into place. You know, the top line grows, margins grow, turnover is reduced, everything works through that frontline sales leaders. They're your field lieutenants who run the squads and and get the battle won. So that's what we do. It's a six-month engagement. It's very different than buying a two-day workshop, which you can you can buy it and check the list. You know, we did sales training here. You know, we do sales training. <laughs> well, you did, but you didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, you spent a bunch of money and you had people come together at a hotel and bought them some food and sent them home. And through 30 days later, they'll go back to doing what they were doing before. So because oh, it's, cause it's easy. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. It's easy, it's easy to do. Yeah. Right. Really yeah. easy to do. Yeah. You know. And I mean, I'm steeped in sales myself. I, uh, I've done lots and lots of sales for all my own companies and it's a vital lesson to learn. And my approach was always the conversation, right? That was always my approach, not the, the, I don't know if you'd call it old school. I'd call it really no school, um, the no school way of sales. And that is just the cutthroat way of sales, which never worked for me. You know, my, my biggest successes in sales were always just having conversations like this. Right? Yeah. And then if you got a problem, well, we have a solution that can help you with that problem. Right. So yep. if you're, if you're interested in having that conversation, then let's have that conversation. It's not this like force down your neck you know, type of cheesy crap that, <laughs> you know, and there's still there. people out there doing it. They're still yeah. doing it today. And it's really a car dealership. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Best Buy the other day and right off the bat, like four people approached me. Do you need any help with anything after just seeing that they were within proximity of each other? I just told them as well. No, I'm, I was just taking a look at this and <laughs> And it's the same thing as LinkedIn, right? How many messages do you get a day coming Swarmed. at you? <laughs> uh, is that a white shirt you're wearing? Hey, I like white shirts too. By the way, <laughs> can I interest you in a mobile app? Like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No, man. It's uh, I, I'm glad that you're out there helping people see the light because uh, everyone's ears perk up when they hear about sales. But you're right. It's funny because then business will go, well, I paid for sales training. Why isn't my team... Uh, why isn't my team performing uh, performance? And uh, I mean, paying for sales training, like a two day workshop, that's like handing somebody a pamphlet with bullet notes, like just, that's it. That's it. Like just, okay. What are they supposed to do with that? As opposed to what every entrepreneur has done, right. Which is go undergo that iterative process of like, no one can tell you, okay, step one, step two, step three. Cause when you're in the line of fire of, business and 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 diagnosing a problem for a client you you have to iterate based on the rhythm of the conversation and where it's going right so i think it's fascinating that anybody had ever thought that that kind of training was going to work 
When was the last time somebody told you, this is how you ride a bike? And then you're like, okay, thank you. Downloaded. And you went off and rode into the sunset. Impossible, right? Uh, It's just not how humans work. And so the metaphor I think of is, you know, if you wanted to lose weight and get in shape and you went to a trainer for a day and had a physical workout and then stopped, (laughs) you're going to get fat and ugly, you know, (laughs) it just happens. So you got to have, you got to have some kind of process that you follow. And uh, our whole thing is about the quality of the sales call. I'd rather have 10 really, really quality calls than a hundred. Everybody's pushing call quantity. It's ridiculous. 60% of all sales calls are scrap and waste. They don't advance a buying decision. They're total waste of time. That is a outstanding number to know because yeah, most people are out there. And what are your thoughts on that? Actually, I don't get a chance to talk about this a lot. And uh, given that this is what you do, this is what you write about. I'm interested to know, I've come across people who come from the school of like, I get my internal sales team and they do sales. That's it. That's what, that's how they see it. When sales has a, and I think you alluded to this with uh, hunters and farmers uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's business development and then the actual closing and nurturing of the sale, right? Correct. There's two sides to it. And yet businesses in particular agencies, smaller, like 15 employee firms will make one person be both things. And I feel like that's an exercise in futility because you can't be out meeting new people while also nurturing the ones you already have. Well, interestingly enough, if you look over time, what happens to someone who gets into a new sales position and develops a territory as a hunter, they ultimately become a farmer. And the reason is, is they get a base book of business that pays them enough commission to make their world go round. And there's no real incentive for them to go out and find any more new. They can live off the farm. Um, So you're kind of always wanting to, you know, bring those new hunters in because ultimately over time, they're going to turn into a farmer. And um, it's hard to grow the top line without hunters because you need new logos. And and by the way, getting new logos is the toughest job. You know, that's where you get the most rejection. And it's, uh, you know, farming, go, going in and seeing an existing account where they're, you've got a big share of wallet and you're making good bucks and they've known you for years. That's, that's pretty enjoyable versus calling up uh, Jason and asking him if he'll give you two seconds of his time to talk to you about something. <laughs> He's like, tell me why. <laughs> the fish, fish methodology, right? Here, yeah. let me hand you a bunch of fish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a tough job. I mean, uh, my my dad always said, you know, if you learn how to sell, you'll never be without a job. And I think that's very true. Um, so, you know, that, that was just in the DNA. Man, yeah. I'm with it. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, with that said, there's a few pieces of business we like to uh to attend to here on the show. And the first one is like explicitly, if someone missed the entire conversation that was filled with gold, here's a moment that makes it really explicit. If you yourself could go back to that time just before you received the word of this opportunity with Xerox, what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now about business and life? I think it relates to something that you referenced earlier, which is, you know, I'm I'm a guy that I don't want to have any regrets. And I think if I had not taken advantage of that opportunity, I would, I'd have been terribly regretful. 
I, I wouldn't have known it at the time, but I sure know it now. And, um, you know, sometimes you just have to step out into a little space that you're uncomfortable in. And um, all manner of things happen once you take that that leap. And when you do, my mom used to say, hey, you'll rise to the occasion. Just go ahead and do it. And, you know, it helped me overcome the fear of, of doing anything. You'll rise to the occasion. Say yes. Yeah. <laughs> say Just yes. Just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take, the, take the leap, right? Man, when, when parents say things like that, it just hits different. You know, I, I, I didn't have the benefit of that, but I, I can imagine the level of confidence I can give someone as, as I so clearly see exemplified in your own journey of just where you came from and the people you had around you, even growing up and the conversation at the dinner table, any entrepreneur who is wondering, you know, any, they have a family, like, how, how should I approach this? You never know. It's little things like that. Oh, you're right. It was probably said in passing too. You'll rise to the occasion. It wasn't like, let me sit you down. And tell you why you're going to no. it's always like, yeah, you'll rise to the occasion, very in passing, but the, I imagine, you know, that's my assumption. And yet the impact it had on you clearly was the work we did with kids in, um, in, in, you know, we work on all ends of the spectrum of the socioeconomic uh, area and, you know, kids in the suburbs are as troubled as kids in the inner city because they, they have the means to get in trouble. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, but if you look at mentoring as a you know, most powerful tool to help turn around a kid's life, there's two things they need. They need a person in their life who cares about them and affirms that they're a good person, that you are a good person. And that, that, those two things will, will work miracles with kids that are on the road rock, you know, the wrong road. So yeah, it helped man. me. I mean, I, I have no complaints about my parents. I always hear people say, oh, my father was this, my mother was that. You know, hey, <laughs> shut up. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, somebody told me one time, they're like, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't give their 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 parents their due, right? Because it's like, you know, how often do you hear people say, my mom was great, my dad was great, I was just a shithead, right? <laughs> <laughs> How often do you hear that? <laughs> yeah, right. Couldn't be me. <laughs> right. uh, oh, man. Uh, it's great stuff. And, and uh, I guess uh, in the spirit of things, we've reached the, uh, the million-dollar question of the show. And that is, uh, if you could have invited anybody here today, John, to be a part of this conversation, chime in, contribute, your pick of the litter, take any place in time. Who would you have loved to have had here and why them? Well, I'm haloed by the conversation. I, I yeah, My dad died when he was 63. I was like 17 and a half years old. So I didn't really know him that well. And um, yet I respected him and I, I loved him. I mean, he was the Archie Bunker type where he never hugged me. He never told me he loved me, but I knew he did because he provided everything I ever needed. Right. But I think he'd be very proud of me. Um, and it, you know, what we've been able to do with, with his, he, he got the thing going. I mean, without my mother and father, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that that's who would, I'd love to have be here and, and hear this story. Powerful stuff, man. Yeah. No, I, I know Jason can relate to some of what you said, uh, and, and why he chooses to be the kind, the kind of parent that he is. And as entrepreneurs, I mean, man, not only do we shape economies and marketplaces, 
but we also shape the minds, the future minds that will be shaping the economies and the marketplaces. And that's that's a duty unto itself that probably uh, goes in one ear out the other while they're busy managing businesses. But man, entrepreneurs, business owners, you got to give yourself more credit trying to raise a family and raise a business that's a whole other family right with all the all the employees basically like your children and and in a sense not in a toxic environment we're like oh as a family you got to stay longer hours but more like i got to make sure that their families are taken care of you know and that's like that's like that's really something powerful that i know at the end of the day you ask yourself can i make this payroll am i going to make another payroll now i personally haven't ever uh, really worried about that because I do more, mostly like contractor work here and there with people. But I, I've heard the horror stories of being there, $2 in the bank, wondering how you're going to make payroll. And so entrepreneurs, this is your moment to just celebrate, you know, and, and, and as parents on top of all that, you got to give respect where it's due. John, the kind of conversation you've brought up uh, is really humane and it brings up a lot of internal values that people can look at and determine for themselves. Like, you know, what kind of entrepreneur are they? What are they doing? Are they impacting kids' lives? You know, like a lot of what you were doing, you know, and, and most of all, sales and understanding clearly what that does for businesses, which is the lifeblood of things. I think there was a lot of lessons here uh, in our conversation, uh, all valuable. Uh, with that said, tradition here is that Jason closes us out. So that's why I was saying my thoughts about the conversation. Now, Jason, take it away. Thanks. Bill. Yeah. John, Jesus, what a great conversation. Um, it, it's it's literally like walking through an encyclopedia of your life, right? <laughs> and all the good that you've left in the world. And, and I really hope you get the opportunity to do that for another another. 50 years. Um, <laughs> and because you have so much institutional knowledge there that you grew up in this great family of entrepreneurs and, you know, you did a little bit of everything along the way. And those were all the reasons why you landed where you are today, which there was a lot of lessons to be learned out of this. And uh, every, every opportunity I have uh, to, put myself in the situation to hear other people's stories and uh, you know, the experiences they went through in business, they're always growth for me. Right. Um, no matter what, because in life, if we're not lifelong learners, then we are sleeping at the wheel. So um, thank you for taking the time to spend a little sliver of your day with us today and uh, share some really good value uh, we appreciate you very much, my friend. Well, thank you. I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's a great way to start a Friday morning. And, um, you know, I'd love to send you my books. If you guys would shoot me an address, you know, snail mail for both of you, I'll send you all four. And I really awesome. appreciate your, your taking the time to, to have the, have the conversation. So it's been, yeah. been good and, and awesome. enjoyed it a lot. Uh, last thing is where, where do people get a hold of you? Where do they contact you? So the website is level five selling five is spelled out.com. Um, you know, my email is John at level five selling.com. That's the best way to, to reach us. We're on LinkedIn. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, love to have you follow us on LinkedIn. We post a lot of valuable information there a lot um, all the time for sales leaders and salespeople. And um, it's, a, it's a good way to keep in touch. Yeah, awesome. man. 
I'm yeah, connecting will, with you right now. You <laughs> I would be networking with you guys. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it's been well, a pleasure, man. Yeah. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. You bet, guys. Be well. Cheers. Yep. Right. Enjoy Cheers. your weekend. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.